Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You are with Lyle and... Minnie. Minnie. How are you this morning? I'm stretching. Stretching out the creeks and the... Creases. Yeah, look, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I was like, good morning. It was nice to... I had to hang up my washing this morning. I forgot to put it out last night. And it was like, all windy and exciting. And then I came here and then we're talking about old cars, which was exciting. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so, Dad owns an old FJ yes, Holden. Yes, he does. Wow. And I never <laughs> knew about this and I've been drooling it over, over it ever since you told me about it. You've got to show me a photo sometime. Oh, I will. You know what? My dad used to pick me up from it every now and then when I was in high school and my cousin sometimes was a little bit embarrassed and I was like, no, this is the best. Yeah. Why would you be embarrassed to get about that getting know. picked up in an FJ Holden? That's like epic. Actually, you know what? To be fair, every now and then the battery would die. So he had to jump start it with a battery that was on the floor. Why didn't <laughs> you use the crank handle? I don't know. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Maybe that had something to I just sort of added to the fun of it. I was like, <laughs> in an old car with a battery that doesn't work. See, my old truck has a crank handle. Ah. And it's pretty epic to uh, to get out and crank it into life wine. at times. Uh, sometimes um, I do that just because I can. <laughs> Not because the battery's flat. It's just like, Brilliant. I have a crank handle. I'm going to start this car, this truck by cranking it. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> do all old cars have crank handles? I don't know. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. I think an FJ should have a crank handle. Oh, I don't know. It's got a gray motor, doesn't it? I, I don't know. I just know that I like it as a car. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, how are you feeling this morning? I am feeling amazing this morning. Yes, good. Okay, so, 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 so you got to hear my story. Yes. Um, a friend of mine from way back in the day contacted me overnight via Facebook. Um, this was a guy who was actually in my wedding. Hey. And I think I've heard of from him once since then. And he doesn't, doesn't do social media, but uh, recently got on social media. So a big shout out to my mate Chris Garrett this morning. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right. So what's happening in the world of positively different news? Okay. Do you want to hear a really cool story? I'm going to tell you. Um, so, now, just for some little history and context, I don't know if you guys recall, in, I think it was 2011, there was some very severe earthquakes in New Zealand, in Christchurch. Um, I went over, what, like nine or ten months afterwards, and the city of Christchurch was still, you know, heaps of people still didn't have power or electricity, not everywhere, um, but, you know, that was months and months later, they, keep, they kept having these aftershock, but still massive earthquakes. Anyway... So that was a little while ago, but the story does come forward to now. So there was a couple, is a couple, um, I'm just trying to think their name. So Brent Cairns and his wife. So basically in the, te- uh, the area of Kayapoi, yes, Kayapoi, um, in the September earthquakes, there mm-hmm. was a ho- this whole section ends up being red zoned. So originally, these earthquakes happened. The local council was like, yep, we're going to try clean up. This will be great. And then almost without warning, um, they decided that they were going to just red zone this whole place. Right. Um, but you had to sign a thing. You had to sign a thing being like, yep, sweet, okay, we're moving out. Not reali- there, was no, there was no warning. They weren't really told this was going to happen. They literally saw it on the news. were like, oh, we're going to be kicked out and we have to sign this thing. No, no, no. This thing was voluntary to sign, which... Um, Brent and his wife found out, and I mean, like, it, the place was a mess. Like, you know, there is liquidation or liquid, uh, liquefaction, liquefaction, uh, yeah, that liquefaction, 
Liquification. That's yeah, the one. Yeah, That's yeah, the one. yeah. So it's like everything becomes sludgy and just kind of yep. whatever. Um, yeah, and you know, people come together to try sort it out. They had portaloos everywhere. But yeah, so basically the council decides, no, actually, we're not going to fix this. Um, they look into like the law. Can you do this? No. Anyway, so they just stay. A whole bunch of people leave. Over the next few years, it was pretty tough. Things were being demolished. They watched houses and things be destroyed. Um and then they realised the legacy in the neighbourhood was all the fruit trees. Oh, okay. So there was a guy who was coming around um, with a worker putting tape around some of the trees and they said they were only keeping the natives and trees over four metres. So what did Brent and his wife do? They buy some tape and go taping all the trees. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so eventually, you know, the people were like, oh, hold on, we, this is so much work for us to undo what you've now just done. So they're like, okay, look, fine, Um we're going to agree uh, – they agreed to remove only three that were in poor health and leave the rest. So for this couple, they're like, yes, this is a win for the little guy. Yay for us. Um, this is obviously going forward like a few years in time because we're uh-huh, now uh-huh. 2020. Yeah. Um, they, the couple end up getting put in charge of creating the Kayapoi Food Forest. So what they did oh, was – this is epic. Uh-huh. A food forest. Uh-huh. You've got to be joking. I want to go there already. Right? My mouth is watering right now. I know. I was like reading this story and I was like, oh, my days. Um, yeah, so basically because even though people weren't living there, people would still wander through. And there was like all these fruit trees everywhere that weren't being used. And people used to just come and kind of help themselves. I was like, brilliant, brilliant. Yes. And um, It's like a community – Garden. Yeah. It's like it's like going it's like going out the bush and it's just like there's food everywhere. Exactly. Brilliant, right? Uh-huh. Um but yeah, so essentially the short version of it is that um yeah, this couple by a chance meeting an arborist or something at a wedding, um, learnt about how you relocate, should you relocate, can you relocate, all those sorts of things. And they relocated um I think it was about seventeen fruit trees um from the red zoned gardens and then brought them I think to their backyard or to wherever they lived. Um, so what kind of fruit trees are they growing there? Look, I mean, what can I eat if I go there? I mean, I want to know. I want to go there. I want to eat something. Well, it's Christchurch, so it's going to be things that grow in the cold. It's going to be like Tasmania where I grew up. Oh, you would love it's this. Going be, it's going to be apples and pears. It's going, you're going to have stone fruit there. You'd have great um, citrus have in the winter, fr- potentially. bit cold for citrus. <gasps> you might get, you might get uh, definitely get lemons mm. and you might get grapefruit. Okay. I think oranges would really struggle. Oranges would be like, what am I doing here? So how cold does it have to be? Because in my head, I always associate citrus with winter because I don't love winter and I had to find things that I was super grateful for. And <laughs> mum had like mum had citrus trees and it was always winter and grapefruit and lemons in winter. Yes, but where did your mum live? Yeah, okay, fair enough. So it has to be like cold. Oh, no, but Toowoomba, like, that can get some frost. Okay, so we, we, grew, we grew grapefruit, uh, lemons and oranges in Tasmania. The grapefruit would ripen, but they would never turn yellow. So you oh. eat them when the skin is green because they just didn't get enough sun Ooh. to turn yellow. But the skin is green, but the inside is oh, okay, perfectly okay. ripe. I was like, that's pretty. <laughs> that's pretty. Um, the lemons did fine, and the oranges were just like, "What have you done to me? <laughs> Why am I here?" <laughs> they did not like Tasmania. Not enough sun for them down there. Yeah. So with lemons, sorry, I love lemons. Were they sour in Tasmania or were they sweet-ish? Like, does the cold change how sweet they are? I don't know. They're just lemons. Oh, okay. They're pretty good. Oh. I used to eat them. They'd, they'd turn your mouth inside out, but they were good. <laughs> they could it's be. This, you know, a good lemon, a good, you, can hear, you, can, you can tell my mouth is watering right now. Oh, um, yeah. 
Um, but yeah, so basically with this legacy in the neighbourhood, um, it also includes a mailbox to indicate where the folks... Ma- they've basically created their whole little um, environment from this place. Um, they've hosted a bunch of uh, workshops and events to bring the community together and teach families how to grow their own food, um, which I think is awesome because currently I have a veggie garden. I've just started, don't really know what I'm up to. Have just kind of planted heaps of seedlings and been like, grow little guys, grow. <laughs> and like I've probably watched a few different things and I have some friends who are gardeners, my mum's a gardener. But it was one of those things that I didn't want to learn when I was growing up. I was like, oh, weeding. Now I'm like, why didn't I learn? Oh, the food you grow in your backyard is the best food Always. ever. Always. Always. But yeah, so basically there's also plans for an educating education building after $690,000 was granted from the government's Food Secure Communities Fund. I didn't even know places had a fund like this, let alone have that much money in it. Maybe you need to do some research. Maybe there has such a thing (laughs) in Australia. (laughs) Yeah. But basically, um, Brent has said the past decade has given him more grey hairs than his father, but he has no regrets about his decision to stay. And I just think, what a cool thing. Like, not only have they stayed, but they've made it somewhere that they really want people to come back to and to be able to appreciate and to be able to spend time. And food forest, always ideal. Anyway, so I just thought that was a very cool story that recently came up in um, New Zealand's um, little papers yesterday, last night. My dad sent it to me. I was like, yes, I want to talk about this story. (laughs) (laughs) Nah, that's fantastic. Great story right there. Um, really should uh, I think we need to start a food forest in Australia I like somewhere. It. I just like this idea you're listening to the breakfast show podcast on faith FM positively different joining us on the phone this morning is Joseph Scaff and uh, typically we once a month ha- uh, hear from Joseph's wife Camilla but Joseph is joining us today to talk about social health particularly boundaries Joseph welcome to the show hi Lyle thank you so much for inviting me and uh, good morning to uh, all of your listeners Super excited to have you as part of the program. Uh, we are going to be talking about, well, specifically boundaries this morning. What do we need to know about boundaries and why are these things important? That's right, Lyle. So last week, Camila told about um, the importance of reading the Bible to reduce stress, to uh, rise above a little bit of the uh, stress of the day-to-day lives and concentrate on on spiritual things, on eternal things. Uh, but another very important uh, element of our health is actually our social health. Because if you're uh, involved in, uh, let's say, if your relationship at home or that with your friends, it's not good, well, that will be a source of stress as well. So one of the key ingredients that, that to me was a great learning experience in my personal life was actually to learn about boundaries. Boundaries and relationships, they go together. A relationship that where there's no boundaries, uh, it's not going to be a functioning relationship while. No, that's right. And sometimes you get people who, um, you know, and I can think of a number of people right now at the top of my head, who don't have good boundaries in the way that they interact with other people and they can become very, I guess, intense and yes, start yes. to control your life to a certain extent. Absolutely, and and uh, we're going to talk about that. One of one of the things that really uh, really helped me in my journey with boundaries uh, was reading a book called Boundaries by two psychologists, two American psychologists called uh, Dr. Henry Cloud and John Townsend. And that's a, just a, a good sort of a book suggestion uh, if you would like to know more about that. And some of the ideas that I'm bringing here will be coming from from his book. But I realized I learned with with, with that book. One of the things that I learned is that you have Four main uh, types of boundary problems, Lyle. 
And let me tell you what they are. And one of them is, is exactly what you said. So one type of boundary pro problem is called to be a compliant. So a compliant is a person that uh, says yes to the things that they actually wanted to say no. And I, I really related to that because my personality, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a compliant as well, you know? So I will often say yes, yes, yes. And I wanted to please everyone. And I would feel bad if I take no to someone that requested me. But the problem with, with compliance, people that are saying yes, when they actually wanted to say no, is that you can end up becoming quite, uh, burned out. You will be saying you have no time for yourself. You feel that you're just, you know, uh, 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 living, you know, doing favors for everyone else, and yet yourself and maybe your family, they are, you know, ended up uh, missing the best time of you. So that can be a very stressful environment, a very stressful condition to be in, to, to always say yes and, and, and not to know really how to say no. And, and a burned out uh, person yeah. really can't help anybody else, can they? No. You know, once you reach they that cannot. point of burnout, then you cease to be... Um, you, you know, because I think we say yes because we want to help people, but then when we're burned out and we are then unable to help people. That's right. Absolutely. You know, there, there's a proverb that says uh, it's not wise to put your body on fire just to make someone else uh, warmer. Mm, that's that's a, not yeah. the way to do uh -huh, it, uh -huh. you know? So that's one, that's one kind of boundary problem, compliant. You know, saying yes when you actually wanted to say no. Uh, the, the other kind of uh, boundary problem is called uh, to be an avoidant. So avoidant is a person that says no to the good things. So that's typically someone that feels like, oh, you know, I, I'm not necessarily worthy or I don't want to bother other people. So when they actually have a genuine help or a genuine need, they feel uncomfortable in either accepting the help of others or even asking uh, someone else for help. So let's say maybe, maybe uh, uh, an example of a person that can, you can be both. Actually, you can be all of the, the, the four main uh, uh, boundary problems that we're going to be talking about. You can have all of them. So the, a typical case of the avoidance, for example, someone that is working and someone is asking them to, you know, go out of their comfort zone, go the extra mile to help someone else. But when they need a help and a favor to someone, they feel that, oh, I, you know, I, I don't want to really you know, stress someone else. I don't want to give more than five minutes, take more than five minutes of someone else's time. So you ended up accumulating, you ended up not asking for help, especially when you need that help the most. Maybe you, you're going through a life problem uh, and, and you were supposed to be sharing, you know, you wanted to share the burden with someone and yet you feel like, oh no, I don't really want to, you know, to, to, to accept the help of anyone. And that's actually a boundary problem. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And that's so unhealthy that's as well because, once again, that, uh, that will break you down and destroy you because as human beings, you know, God has created us to, uh, to be a part of community and to, and to gain strength and help from each other. Absolutely, Lyle. And, you know, one of the Bible passages that really spoke to me is found in, in uh, the book of Galatians in chapter 6. It says something very interesting. It says in chapter, chapter 6, verse 2 says, Carry each other's burden." And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So the Bible tells us to go and help other people, that that's actually a source of, of healing, of blessing, uh, to carry one another's burdens. But look at that statement that balances that out. In verse 5, it says, For each one should carry their own load. And that's it, very interesting. Because one thing is for me to be going through a life experience that is a burden. 
and and it's okay for me to ask for help and it's okay and even desirable for me to help others that are going through a rough time. But a different thing altogether is for someone to carry my own load, my own weight. So for me to do something for someone that they can actually do that thing themselves. And that's where some of the boundary problems start because, you know, uh, uh, God doesn't want us to delegate things that we can, you know, perfectly do ourselves to other people. Mm. But he actually expects us to ask for help when we're, we, we, we're dealing with a major source of, of stress. So the, the illustration here is like, Carrying a boulder versus carrying a knapsack. You know what a knapsack is? Like a small light backpack? Yes. So, Lyle, if you have a boulder to carry that you cannot carry by, by yourself, you can call me and say, Joseph, can you give me a hand? I say, yes, Lyle, let me help you carry that boulder. Oh, that's too heavy. Maybe I even, you know, recruit one another, two persons to help. And that's perfectly fine and acceptable and beautiful. However, if you just say, oh, Joseph, I have a very light knapsack here and I just not, don't feel like, you know, uh, wearing it. Can you wear it for me? And, and maybe I, I'm your friend. I'm your friend, and I'm afraid of you know saying no to you because I don't know what's going to happen. So it's okay, Lyle. You can give me your knapsack. But I ended up getting the knapsacks of everybody around me because they say, "Oh, you're carrying Lyle's wet knapsack. Can you carry mine and mine and mine?" I ended up having a boulder myself. And yes. and actually, you know, so so that's kind of a, a good illustration. So we are to help people carry their boulders, but not necessarily their knapsacks. That's not productive. That's not healthy. That's not sustainable. Sure. So that's how a uh, an avoidance person and a compliant person, I guess, could uh, you know work together to destroy each other almost. That's right. What are Absolutely. our other What are our other areas where we break down in uh, setting good boundaries? So the other two areas is you can be a controller, and a controller is a person that does not respect the boundaries of others. Right. Okay. So it's yes. a person that, that that you were saying in the beginning, a person that you know that actually can you know usually come into you know if it's in a relationship, we usually label that kind of behavior as a toxic relationship. So it's people that don't respect your no, and you know sometimes they can just be very blunt, or they can use of uh, emotional manipulation, or um, you know to to say oh so you don't like me, so you don't trust me, so you don't care for me, and these kinds of things. So you're saying no, I cannot help you, but then. They trick you or they force you either through being aggressive or through being manipulative or dramatic into sort of forcing you to feel bad by you saying no. And that's gilding, you, that's, gilding you into stuff. That's right. Exactly. They're, they're, they're sending you in a guilt trip, you know, so to speak, into saying no. And that's also a boundary problem because that is very corrosive to relationships as well. So that's the controller. And also you have the non-responsive. And the non-responsive is, a, is, the, is our fourth problem with boundaries. And that's the people who just don't care. So that's the people who you, you actually need help. You come and you ask them for help and they kind of, uh, you know, shrug their, their, uh, their shoulders and say, yeah, all right. Yeah. I mean, they, you feel that they, 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 they don't care. They just care about themselves. You know, they, they, so that's, that's another, that's another boundary problem. When we are so detached from other people that we just, you know, so self-centered uh, that we become just this apathetic creature that just thinks of ourselves and is unable to help others when they need help, uh, you know, to, um, and, and so on. So that's also a problem of, let's say, emotional insensitivity. It maybe can be a transit, uh, uh, can be disguised as something like, oh, I'm pragmatic, I don't have the time, it's their problem. But actually God wants us to be caring and looking after other people. But you see that there's a fine line. Because in one hand, we, we are to carry the other people's boulders, but at the same time, we don't want to be, you know, uh, so tied up that we, our emotional uh, uh, health is going, you know, downhill. And then 
that will make us not only not able to help others, but that will make us a source of needing of help to other people as well. So it's the, the art of learning about boundaries is trying to figure out when to say yes and how to say no so that you can get control of your life. Yeah, and just listening to what you're saying there, it almost seems to me like the non-responsive person is kind of the opposite of the compliant person. The compliant person doesn't have any boundaries. It seems like the non-responsive person has uh, so many boundaries they're not prepared to do anything, and both of them are a problem with boundaries. Would that be a fair uh, analysis of, of what you yeah, said? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think that's a very good way to summarize that, uh, Lyle. And, of course, we want to avoid both. And, and the compliant, for example, I have a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, and I'm trying to help her not to go my way in being compliant. And, you know, even small things. So, for example, when my daughter says no, I respect her. So, for example, I like to hug her and kiss her all the time. But when she says no, I immediately stop because I want to show her that her no has a value and that I respect her no. I, I, I don't keep sort of a pushing that boundary because I want her to learn that in life when she says no or I'm sorry, I can't or that doesn't, that's not going to work for me, that people are to ex- uh, she expects that people are to respect that. But this is a sign of respect. And you know, Lyle, one thing that I say to, uh, that I learned, that I say, you know, to my friends that, that also struggle with, with boundaries is that often say, well, but if I say no, they're not going to like me. And they say, listen, if someone loves you in reality, if someone is a really a friend to you or is really a person that loves you, they're going to love you both when you say yes and also when you say no. Because if someone only likes you when you say yes and they don't like when you say no, so basically they only like you if you do what they want you to do. They don't like you for who you are. So that's a very important distinction. You know, even for teenagers, maybe that are listening to this, you know, peer pressure. If your friends are the kinds of friends that only like you when you say yes to all that they, they say, they're not really good friends. I'm sorry to reveal that to you. You're better off seeking for friends that are going to love and respect you, both in your yeses and also in your no's. They say, okay, that's fine. If you don't want to do it, that's all fine. It's all good between us. Just very quickly, I'm wondering whether you can comment on, you know, the kind of person who is a high needs person. Like they're just, they're just a needy person. And I've seen, uh, occasions where, you know, people are Christians, like, well, it's our Christian duty to help this particular person. And so they start pouring themselves in to that person. But that person is never filled because only Jesus can, can fill that hole. Uh, is this a trap for Christians where we just, you know, get can become become, become can become consumed by providing for needs that can never be be provided for? Absolutely, the absolute trap. Actually, in the book of Proverbs, if I'm not mistaken, on chapter twenty, I'm quoting this from my head. It says that you know we should never um, accept uh, the gift from a person that is not grateful. You know, from a person that is giving it begrudgingly. So sometimes a very needy person can be a controlling person and using, uh, you know, I have learned of pastors, uh, for example, that will be, and Christians that will be serving families for 10, 20 years. And at some point, and, and they're never, you know, and they never responded. They never corresponded. They never did anything in retribution. And once that pastor said, you can, okay, you know, I, I need to leave to some, somewhere else. They say, oh, you've never done anything for us. You know, you're not our real friend. Because if you're our friend, you continue to serve us. Mm. And and so so sometimes a needy person can be an ungrateful person. So though it doesn't matter, it's like a, a a black hole. It doesn't matter how much you put in if they're, if they're not corresponding that somehow. And I'm not saying that necessarily just to you. If, if they're not corresponding by giving uh, paying it forward, let's put it that way, in terms of helping others, for example, that's another way of corresponding. 
Uh, and if you're just sucking and taking and taking, maybe you are, uh, that's a trap that you, you're trying to fulfill a need and that need will never be fulfilled. So you're wasting your time, you're wasting the other person's time by letting them know that it's okay for you just to be demanding, 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 and never actually giving anything back uh, as far as relationship goes. Joseph Scaff, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you so much, Michael, for inviting me. It was a pleasure. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. It is now time for... Question of the day. What is our question of the day there, Minnie? What is the difference between cherubim and seraphim, and what are they? Okay, what is the difference between cherubim and seraphim? What are All right. So, uh, very simply put, these are two different classes of angels. Mm-hmm. Now, we mentioned uh, yesterday, day before, yesterday and the day before, that the word angel simply means messengers, so they're messengers of God. There are two different kinds of messengers of God. We don't know how many different kinds there are. These are the only two different kinds that are mentioned in the Bible. You'll find that cherubim are first mentioned in the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve are kicked out of the Garden of Eden. You find that there was a cherub with a flaming sword that stands at the entrance to the Garden of Eden to keep uh, Adam and Eve out of the Garden and away from the Tree of Life after they sinned. Mm. Now... The one thing that you do pick up very, very clearly when you read the Bible and you read in the Bible about uh, depictions of heavenly things, it's very, very clear that the writers of the Bible really don't have the words within their language to be able to describe what they are seeing. Yes. So so to give an illustration of that, and I know I've given this illustration before, it's a little bit like if you took... Uh, say Isaiah, because he sees seraphim and he describes seraphim. But if you took Isaiah, uh, so he's living, let me see, uh, what's Isaiah living, Seven, 800 BC, mm-hmm. right? It's a fair while ago. And if you launch him into our day, <laughs> give him a bit of a tour around the place, uh-huh. take him for a flight in a helicopter, you know, show him some of our technology, communications technology and so forth. And then send him back to his day. Mm. Does he have the language with which to write down what he saw? Can he can he go back to his day and say, "Well, I went for a ride in a helicopter <laughs> no. and I used an iPhone"? Because <laughs> they have like no context for what that even is. No context, yeah. and so you get these descriptive kind of things where they kind of describe it, and even still, you're like, they don't even have the words to describe this, mm-hmm. and so they're seeing things that they don't actually have the language to describe. And this is why Paul says. When, you know, he says, I was transported up to the third heaven and saw things that I can't write about. Mm-hmm. Where do you even start? <laughs> what do you even put on paper? There's nothing there that you can compare to this earth. And so you can't write about it. You can't, you can't even really, there's a lot of it you can't even really talk about. And those writers that do write about it are really struggling. Mm. So we have the seraphim. You find them in Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, they seem to be a higher rank. They're only mentioned once in the Bible. Uh, the Bible describes them as having six wings, faces and feet. Yes. And the word cherubim means the fiery ones. Mm. Sorry, seraphim, seraphim. Okay. Um, so they're like fire. Yes. Now, okay, yep, I really have no context for what that looks like. But don't cherubim also have faces and feet? Yes, but they're a little bit different. Yes. So cherubim are mentioned as having different faces. Yes. One that looks like an ox, one that looks like uh, a man, yes. one which looks an eagle, one, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so you've got four different faces in relationship to the cherubim. You find them 
uh, particularly described in Isaiah chapter, sorry, Ezekiel chapter one, yes, and Ezekiel chapter ten. Ten. Now cherubim also have wheels. <laughs> yep. Okay, so think about this: you have a living creature with wheels, mm-hmm. and the wheels are alive, and the wheels are full of eyes. That's where my brain starts to implode. <laughs> and there are wheels within wheels. Yes. Okay, so yeah, your brain is really going to start to implode. And what that is, what that is illustrating there when the Bible describes, you know, wheels within wheels and full of eyes before and behind and going wherever, you know, with the cherubim, wherever the cherubim going and being alive, it's like we don't have that in the organic world here on this earth. Mm. So- and because we don't have that, you've got Ezekiel is like, okay, how, how do, do I? De- <laughs> how, how do I describe this? Yeah. You know, John sees the same vision. Yes. He doesn't even go there. <laughs> he doesn't like, even try. Was. He's <laughs> like, he gives three verses. Jo- uh, Ezekiel's like, okay, I'm going to try and describe what I saw, and he give you a whole chapter on it. Mm-hmm. John gives you three verses, and he's like, skip the wheels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, these are angels. We're going to find out more about them one day. We are going to meet with them and see them. Uh, we do know that they at times appear as humans. Um, so that's super cool and super interesting. Lots of things to learn about angels when we get to heaven. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.